State of the Industry podcast. This episode is brought to you by KP Movement Education, your source for health and movement education and coaching. Whether you are a health or fitness professional, a fitness consumer, or perhaps a passive bystander, KP believes that everyone deserves the right to pain-free movement. That's why their memberships and services are designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to create a culture of movement for yourself and those around you. With two membership options, you'll find education surrounding developing at-home training programs for yourself or for others, mental health and exercise, lifestyle medicine, and much, much more. Check it out at kineticperformance.ca backslash memberships. That's kineticperformance.ca backslash memberships. Welcome back to the State of the Industry podcast. I am your host, Adam Youngsma. This week's episode is part two of my conversation with Dr. Brandon Marcello, one of the top high-performance strategists around. Brandon has over 20 years' experience in the performance enhancement industry where he brings innovation, education, and proven application to the worlds of sport performance, health, fitness, and wellness. With his extensive involvement in both the applied and research worlds, he has implemented successful high-performance training programs for professional, Olympic, and collegiate athletes. He also works extensively with individuals and organizations, taking them to the next level through multi-year and time-limited human performance consulting projects in the United States and abroad. He has a huge amount of knowledge specifically where it comes to high-performance recovery protocols, and we discuss that here in part number two. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to that first because we just continue with our conversation. If you already have, let's dive right in. Welcome back, Brandon, for part number two. So I want to start off right where we finished and get into some discussions about sleep. Um, I actually just finished reading a book called Why We Sleep, which is a fantastic book. And it opened my eyes to a lot of the things that I thought I knew already, um, but really explained them because it talked about learning. It talked about the ability to pull in information and, and then take it and push it into the long-term memory. So it opens up the stores later on. And when you work at a college and you teach people for a living, and they all talk about, well, I can't sleep because I have to study. <laughs> Pushing them towards sleep is a really, really good thing. So I, I want to start off by just talking a little bit about, and this is going to be a super broad question. So take it wherever you would like. But can you just discuss the importance of sleep surrounding recovery specifically? Yeah, I mean, I, I one I, I as we talked about in the first part is i consider sleep to be pre-covery mm -hmm. so meaning that it is foundational um and it should come even before nutrition um so sleep should become optimized nutrition should be optimized after that if i had to put them in an order um obviously they should be done para in parallel because they're both pre-covery so meaning that um all these recovery strategies that we talk about training in, in session, uh, in between session, after sessions, they're not going to bring the type of impact or fidelity if you are sleeping poorly. Mm -hmm. um, so it's important to, to focus on sleep. It's just, it's a anchor for health and well-being. Um, there's a lot of nuances around sleep, but getting what we say proper sleep hygiene which is quantity, quality, and consistency of sleep. So sleep quantity, sleep quality, and sleep consistency is what will pay the long-term dividends, right? It's like dental hygiene, right? We, we do the same quantity, we do the same quality, and we use the same consistency. You know, we just didn't wake up this morning and say, I'm just going to brush my bottom teeth this morning, right? Yeah. Right? Because we know there's a consequence if you do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so sleep is no different, but yet it's the first thing that we take off our plate, yeah. right? If we have something important we need to do, we will well, sleep later. 
Um, I got to get up early and finish this project or this email. I'm going to stay up late and do this or, you know, so it's, it's an easy thing to get rid of. Um, but it's probably one of the things we shouldn't get rid of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting when we're looking at things that we can control in our lives. Time, really, we can't get it back, but we can take it from somewhere else and mm-hmm. put it somewhere else, right? So, yeah, a lot of people see sleep as being, well, you know, there's a lot of people around who get by on four or five hours of sleep, so I can do the same thing. And so they they do that. And you, like, you talk a lot about sleep debt, and so when we're looking at um, sleep as a whole, what is sleep debt? And then what does that do as it accumulates over days, weeks, months, years? So sleep debt is essentially, um, let's, I guess the easy way of saying it is, is just say you need eight hours of sleep at night, may or may not, um, but you got seven last night. Now tonight you would have to get nine right? You would have an hour of sleep debt. You'd have to pay that back. Now, mm-hmm. truth be told, it's not a one-to-one, yeah. right? It, it's, that's, that's it, for example, like if you stay up all night and then you go to bed early the next day, you don't get 16 hours of sleep because you missed that eight hours, right? You don't, so it's not a one-to-one. Yeah. It's, it's easy to say that for people to understand the concept of it. Um, the most amount of sleep debt that we seem right now we think you can hold is about 50 hours. Okay. So it's not like, man, I haven't slept well since I was 10. I must have 8 million hours. I'm never going to pay it back. Not that, no. Right. We think we can hold about 50. Okay. Um, what happens when you start to accumulate sleep debt, you don't perform as well at anything. Um, the funny thing is, as humans, we think we still perform really well. Yeah. Um, so we, it's what's called you renorm, renorming. Um, it's kind of like looking at a picture of yourself from 10 years ago. And you're like, man, I looked young, right? Yeah. But what happens is you wake up every morning, you look in the mirror and you, you don't see those small changes day after day after day after day after day. So you don't really see that change happen. Yeah. And the same thing with sleep debt. Um, I don't get enough sleep. I get a little fatigue. That happens over a period of time. Build it, build it, build it, build it, build it. I don't realize how impaired I am um, until we pay back that sleep debt. And, and when I was at Stanford, one of the things that we did was we partnered with the, the sleep center. Um, and Sherry Ma, who's a physician now at, at UCSF in San Francisco, uh, was at Stanford at the time working on her advanced degree. And she started looking at paying back sleep debt. And what happens if we pay back sleep debt in these athletes? Do they get better? Mm-hmm. Right? Sure is enough, right? They were running faster. Their moods were better. Their free point, uh, free throw shooting percentage improved 9%. Mm-hmm. Their, their three-point shooting percentage increased by 9%. Um, you know, they did it in swimmers. They, they, reaction time was faster by 20% better turn time efficiency and, and better kick strokes. So better expression of strength and power. Yeah. Um, like there's no downside. Things were only getting better. Yeah. Like athletes were performing at a higher level because they were focusing on sleep and getting rid of it and eliminating that sleep debt. Yeah. So yeah. So that's sleep debt is just, if you don't get enough of it, you accumulate over time. And the, the result is we don't perform as well as we can. We're leaving, we're leaving things on the table. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, uh, as you said, that, that image of you see yourself every single day, mm-hmm. you experience it. And so you don't realize the small little change. It's the same thing that you talk about somebody who wants to, you know, have some body composition change, right? You see yourself every single day, you need to take photos, you need to look back on those things. And um, yeah, you may not realize it until it's so far gone that you're like, oh, wow, yeah, something has changed, right? Um, so when it comes to sleep debt then and, and, and kind of counteracting that. So if you've got somebody, somebody who's a listener, who's experienced sleep debt and they're like, yeah, you know, I have been kind of chipping away at my sleep for the past, however, number of, of days, weeks, months, years, and I probably have some sleep debt. Is it as simple as 
just go and sleep nine hours every night for the next 50 days. And then I've got, and I know you said it's not one-to-one, but are there other ways that we can improve or, or kind of counteract that sleep debt as well? Um, no, it's about getting more sleep, right? There's no hack. There's yeah. no, you know, quick fix. Um, it's about extending your time in bed. Mm-hmm. And if you extend your time in bed, hopefully that will extend the amount of sleep that you get. And over time, like you said, it takes time, right? When we, when we did these studies, um, you know, they, we were extending their time in bed for 10 hours up to like five weeks, hmm. right? So sleep debt, paying back sleep debt is nothing you can do in like a weekend, one yeah. night, you know, you'll feel better, sure, but um, you still probably have a long way to go. So yeah, it just takes time and uh, it has to, has to be a priority. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think people will become more productive. One of the things that I always, I, I, it irritates me when I see, you know, teenagers being loaded and, and even younger than that, being loaded down with schoolwork, mm-hmm. right? So they're up late trying to do this, these, this copious amount of homework. And it's like, they need to go to bed, yeah. right? And teacher's like, well, they didn't give them the homework because they're not grasping the lessons. They're not grasping the lessons because they're not getting enough sleep. Yeah. Like we're putting them at a disadvantage um, because we're, you know, we're not considering some one of the most important things for, for them, especially. So. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many, like when you, when you look at learning, there's so many different facets to it. It can't just be, they're not grasping it. So they need to do more of it. There are other things, right? Once again, context, there are yeah. other things affecting their ability to learn other than just the you know they're smarts and they have to do more of it to learn it's not like necessarily it's not always a repetition thing right there are certain things where that is the case um where where you know doing more math can make you better at math but once again if you're not sleeping you're trying to learn math and and problem solve and calculus and trigonometry like you're not going to be able to do that by just taking away sleep and piling on more work yep so where do naps fall into this Right. Where do you uh, fall on? Like, I, I know you like naps. I know you, I, you, I you do, approve I do. of naps. I, I, I yeah. do. But again, if they interfere with your ability to get a good night's sleep, yeah, then that's problematic. So, you know, I, I think even uh, Matt talked about that in his book. Um, you know, when, when throughout the day we build up sleep pressure, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of like you shake a, a carbonated beverage, right? And that builds up, which allows you to say, okay, I'm going to go to sleep, right? There's other things that happen too. Um, but, um, when you nap, it, it's like turning the cap and letting out some of that sleep pressure, um, is essentially what you're doing. So if, if you're, if you're napping too much, too long and interferes with your ability to get a solid good night's rest, then that's not an ideal thing. Yeah. Um, you know, the 20 minute nap, nappuccino, which Sherry Ma taught me, which is the, you know, 15 minutes of. It takes 50 minutes for caffeine to kick in. You have some caffeine, you lie down, you fall asleep for 20 minutes, you wake up, you get the benefits of the refreshing nap and the caffeine's kicked in. So you feel great, right? Mm -hmm. Those are great. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the other thing is just being being careful of the nap needs to be strategically deployed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's, once again, like it's going to be individual for everybody, but typically yeah. people have that lull, you know, in the afternoon, right after lunch, right? That kind of natural kind of decline yeah. in that circadian rhythm, right? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's how you can determine if you have sleep debt. Mm-hmm. So um, as you mentioned, we do in the afternoon, we have this urge to sleep and that urge is either perceivable or imperceivable to us. The, if we're just sitting quietly after lunch in the afternoon and um, we start to nod off, that tells me you have sleep debt. If you're sitting there quiet in the afternoon and you're like, doesn't phase me, yeah. then you have very little sleep debt. So the more sleep debt you have, the greater the urge to take a nap in the afternoon, the greater the urge to reach for caffeine or coffee or, or nicotine or some stimulant. Yeah. Right. That may help you push through that, that little bit of that afternoon lull, right. That post lunch dip as people call it, but it has nothing to do with lunch yeah. and everything to do with how much sleep that you have. So, you know, so that's a good point. If, if you start to feel yourself drowsy that time of day, 
you you need to pay back some sleep debt. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a lot of people who, you know, I've coached in the past who work at maybe an office and can't necessarily sleep in that afternoon, even though a lot of, um, I kind of, I guess more modern, um, facilities they've put in maybe nap pods or something like that, where people can have a nap over their lunch period or something. But, uh, I, I often just prescribe, get up and move, right. When your body sure. perceives that it's not doing anything, it's, it's just kind of wasted energy, right. You will, you'll definitely feel that not to say don't then sleep more at night to start paying back some of that sleep debt, but that's a good way to kind of get you past that, that point of feeling like you yeah, have to sleep. Get up and right? move, yep. Yeah. Um, now you, you mentioned there about napping and the, some people nap too long. Some people kind of maybe don't nap enough. How do we find that kind of that fine, good length of time to nap so that we get a little bit of payback at that sleep debt. We kind of get over that feeling of, of being tired but we don't feel, you know, I think you mentioned sleep inertia in the podcast with Eric Cressy. How do we kind of get past that so that we don't feel groggy when we get up? Because that's my problem is I always feel oh. groggy when I come up from nap, so I don't nap. So that's where that nappuccino comes into play. Okay. Right? So that caffeine helps kind of is a countermeasure for that sleep inertia. And sleep inertia for, for your listeners is, is that exactly what you said when you wake up and you're kind of groggy and you're out of it. And that can last anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on the person, right? Mm -hmm. You just feel kind of tired and kind of, you know, not yourself. Um, that's where the caffeine can actually be beneficial. Um, and uh, uh, so the length of time should be around 20 minutes, not always realistic, but that's what would be ideal, right? Mm -hmm. That 20 minute little refreshing nap in the afternoon. Yeah. And that it, so I don't know if this is actually correct, but uh, it takes the average person seven to like nine minutes or so to fall asleep. So are you mm -hmm. including that in the 20 or is that like saying it's 27 minutes or 30 minutes or so to include yeah. that amount of time? I mean, 20 ish, right? I mean, that's yeah. the thing. And depending on how much, the greater the sleep debt you have, the faster you will be able to fall asleep. Yeah. Right. So that's the thing. Like if people are falling asleep, like if we look at, if, if we have like a sleep tracker on somebody, like a good one. Yeah. And um, we look at their latency, which is the amount of time it takes them to fall asleep. If they're falling asleep within two minutes, they have, they're tired. Yeah. They have a lot of sleep debt. That tells me that, okay, this person's just doesn't get enough sleep. So yeah. that, that changes things as well. Okay. Um, and what is it specifically that gives the person that feeling of grogginess when they get up from something like a nap? Is there like a, like a physiological or biochemical change that takes place that makes them feel that way? Yeah. It's kind of like you've started into like your, your, your sleep cycle, your sleep architecture, like in a, in a night's sleep, right? Mm -hmm. And when you wake up in the middle of that, since that happens sometimes in the morning too, right? You're kind of groggy and you wake up a little bit, depending on when you wake up Yeah. in that, that, that can cause that. So okay. yeah, you're, you are. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's talk a little bit about um, the differences in sleep patterns. Some people um, need to wake up early and yet they're night owls and they like to stay mm -hmm. up late. And then you've mm -hmm. got those who um, are more early risers, but maybe are a shift worker and need to work late sometimes. And the, the, like the, the person I always think of or the occupation I always think of are, um, first line workers. So like, you know, whether you're doctors, nurses, uh, whether you are police officers, whether you are firemen, it doesn't, doesn't matter, mm -hmm. right? Like they have these weird schedules all over the place that, uh, don't necessarily allow them to have proper sleep. So, is that a thing? So is being a night owl versus an early riser an actual thing? And then yeah, yeah. what what can we do to, I guess, maximize our ability to transition between the two if we have to? So um, it is a thing. It's called chronotype. So you can be a lark or an owl. Um, there are a couple like middle of the road ones too, but lark meaning, you know, early, early to bed, early to rise mm -hmm. owl, meaning night owl. You, if it was up to you on your day off, right. On an off day, um, you would stay up late and sleep in a little bit later. Um, as you and I spoke about earlier, we're both, we're both owls and both of our wives happen to be larks. Right. So, um, now I'm a lark, right. So, yeah. um, 
the ability to transition is based upon a couple of things. One, um, you can't bounce back and forth. Mm -hmm. So like one of the things that this has been the, the great thing about this COVID thing is that I haven't traveled at all. Um, and as a result, because what would happen is I would be here on a lark. And then when I go on the road, I'm up late in the hotel room, you know, I'm doing work and then, wow, okay, this great movie's on. I'll watch that. And I don't have to be anywhere until noon. So I'll sleep in. Right. So then I'm back to my old ways. So it, you can't, you can't be like a weekend owl and a, and a lark in the, like, like a lot of people do during the work week. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, you have to be consistent. Mm -hmm. That's it. The other thing is getting exposed to daylight. Um, exposing ourselves to daylight, outdoor light, um, is critical for setting our circadian clocks, mm -hmm. right? Um, morning light is so essential with that. So getting 30 minutes of... Uh, um, of morning light at a minimum, right? Without like UV glasses, like I'll go out in the morning and I'll take these glasses off and I'll just walk outside. No sunglasses or anything. Yeah. And just to get some morning light exposure that helps immensely set our rhythm for the day. Mm -hmm. And then getting even better than afternoon, like, like 30 minutes to an hour of morning time is equivalent to like five hours of afternoon sun time. Yeah. Right? So the thing is, you need to get yourself out in the sun in the morning and expose it in the afternoon um, so you can kind of help set your clock, right? Yeah. Um, even those, those um, for people of different latitudes that aren't exposed to typical daylight cycles, right? Those clocks that kind of have that natural warming light in the morning can be also very beneficial um, to helping set that rhythm and start helping you transition. So yeah. Um, yeah, one of the things I noticed, like my daughter, my four-year-old, you know, she was having trouble sleeping, staying asleep at night and going to sleep at night. So, um, she was getting her out in the morning, but I was missing the afternoon time with her. Yeah. I would start taking her out in the afternoon. We'd play in the afternoons. And after that, slept like a baby, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So a combination of consistency and light exposure is critical. Yeah. Yeah, travel's a big one. And um, you mentioned going like to conferences and you fly you know, across the country or sometimes across the world and you're in a totally different time zone. Last year was my first, you know, so I've presented across North America. So I've been in San Diego at Idea. I've yeah. been in DC. I've been in Vancouver. I've been in Calgary. I've been all kind of all over the place hopping around. And the one thing that I, I definitely noticed is when I first went to Shanghai for the first time last year, it like I've I've never like I'd been across to Australia and to the Philippines before, but flying across there and and like I landed and the next day I had to present and that was so I was asking a whole bunch of people who'd done this before more experienced presenting than me, and I was like so what should I do should I try sleeping on the plane because I don't sleep well on planes or should I because it's it's a 12 hour difference. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to switch while I'm here. Cause I know, you know, oftentimes you just kind of push by an hour a night or so. And then, and then you're in that time. Right. But like, I've got to be up, I've got to be awake. So how do other people do it? And one person's like, you try to get on their time as quickly as possible. Try to not sleep on the plane, uh, you know, and then, and then you try to catch And maybe you go to bed at 8 PM their time. And then you try to kind of catch back up. Um, and then I had somebody else who's like, no, just sleep whenever, just let your body tell you when it wants to sleep and you stay up. And I'm like, but then what if I want to sleep while I'm presenting? <laughs> right. Um, so what, what would you recommend specifically for somebody like me who travels across there for, and I was only there for, I think five days and then I'm yeah. coming right back again. So I typically, when I go over, when I, when I used to go over to China and speak, um, I would fly over, um, I would leave like in the morning here. I was in California then, so I was a little bit closer by three yeah. hours, but not by much, three hours of still. It's like, it's nine rather yeah. than 12 hours. Yeah. Um, I would fly over in the morning or afternoon. I No, I'd fly in the evening. And mm -hmm. then I would fly overnight, which means I'd get there at night, mm -hmm. right? So I'm getting there night, their time um, or late afternoon. So then I would go there, go to bed, wake up the next morning and present. Yeah. 
go to bed, and then I'd have them fly me back the following morning. <laughs> so I would spend as very little time there as possible. Yeah. And I would stay on, typically if I change only a couple of times, if I'm only going to be there for a short period of time, I stay on the time zone where I am the best as possible. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, something like that, you're going to have a disruption without a doubt because yeah. you're going to be awake when you should be sleeping and you're going to be sleeping when you should be awake. And, that, yeah. and that, that's that jet lag, right? Where you are where you are is lagging behind where your circadian clock is. That's why it's called jet lag because your body lags behind. It's lagging behind. It hasn't caught up yet. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I usually try to sleep on the plane. I don't do well like yourself. Um, but I can get some, some sleep. Yeah. Um, and it's, but it's tough, right? I mean, I've been over to China. I was over there for 30 days one time. Yeah. Um, and when I came back, I was a wreck. Yeah. Um, I remember landing in San Francisco in the morning. I'm like, I'm going to stay up all night, all day. And I stayed up all day and like, it's like 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, I'm going to bed. I'm so tired. And I was, and I probably fell asleep before I hit the pillow. Yeah. And next thing you know, I wake up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. I, what time is it? Right. And I look at, I look at my, my watch. It was midnight. I had, nice slept, nap. I had slept two hours <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah. And I was up. Nothing yeah. I could do. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. So when I went over, like I, I love flying. I don't know about you. I love flying because for me, it's the one time where I don't have my phone, I don't have email, don't have internet or anything like that. And I can actually just work. So like my brain, just brainstorming yeah. things, writing stuff out, um, anything that doesn't require necessarily the internet, uh, I, I do really well. So putting together presentations, PowerPoints, like for me, like that's that's the time that I'm, I'm best and I, I use that time. And so the 15 hours, I was just like, you know what, since I'm going to want to do work because it's that, that's that time. I'm like for that 15 hours, I'm just going to try to stay awake. So I actually, I think I left at about 10, 10 AM Toronto time and ended up landing about 3 PM their time. And I'm like, I just have to push it till eight. I just have to push it till eight. Cause I didn't, I tried yeah, not yeah. to say, I think I might've had like a power nap in there at some point yeah. um, or maybe two, but I'm like, I have to stay awake here. Um, so yeah, but I remember, yeah, coming back, going there wasn't too bad because it's a new place. You're excited. Um, I'd never been to, to, uh, to China before or Shanghai. And so it was like a very new experience and presenting with an, an interpreter was also very interesting as well. Yes, right. Um, but yeah, it was like the coming back to reality, back to normal, uh, was a big challenge. And I was only there, as I said, for five days versus the 30 where your clock is already all the way back. Um, all right. So when we're looking at uh, sleep, I, I just want to speak about, or have you, I guess, speak about the the role that stress and cortisol can play on not just sleep, but recovery as a whole, and the damaging effects that it can have. Because like cortisol in the short term is really good for you, hundred percent. But over a long period of time, if it remains high, it can drastically affect our recovery and our sleep. Can you just speak to that a little bit? So cortisol, people could call it a stress hormone mm -hmm. um, because it, because it is, it's, it's, it, it is exhibited many times when we are stressed. Um, but not necessarily as a bad thing, right? Um, our body does it for a reason. And we have normal cortisol levels that ebb and flow throughout the day. Like in the morning, like you have high cortisol levels, right? Yeah. That's okay. Uh, if they stay elevated, that's a problem. Like you said. So um, the benefits of cortisol memory, um, the downside of cortisol, memory, right? So it's like all the things that it benefits, it can also hurt. Yeah. Um, we store fat when there's a lot of cortisol. Uh, elevated, we, we have more inflammation. Mm -hmm. When it's elevated chronically, we lose um, gray matter in our hippocampus, right? When it's elevated chronically. Um, the, that inflammation wreaks havoc on all organ systems. Yeah. when it's elevated chronically. Short-term stuff, what does it do well? Prevents inflammation. What does it do short-term well? Helps with memory. What does it do? So all, like, does the opposite things, right? When, yeah. um, so um, the in, some interesting work, uh, who did that? Was it Kelly McGonigal? Um, I think it was Kelly's work. She did some work. She was at Stanford, uh, or he didn't, still is there, um, about stress and did some really cool things that people that 
were stressed, but viewed the stress as negative, had the negative effects of stress. Hmm. For people mm-hmm. that were stressed and viewed that stress as positive, meaning my body needs to feel this way so now I can do and handle this stress, yeah. did not have the negative effects of it. Yeah. So how you frame stress and how you view stress can impact how stress impacts you yeah. as well. So if you're viewing it as a good thing, because, okay, I am sympathetic because, yeah, I am worried about my job right now, but this is going to allow me to handle this better, yeah. to fight it or flight it. I'm in a great spot. Yeah. Very little negative effect. Yeah. People who are like, oh my gosh, I'm stressed out. I'm going to, you know, this is going to kill me. I'm going to be inflamed. I'm losing gray matter by the second. This is not good. Da, 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 da. Probably going to have a negative effect. So. Yeah. How you think about stress can impact that. Yeah, I like that um, because I know in there's a class that I teach at Centennial, which is a, just a general education class. So anybody in the school can take it and it's a healthy lifestyle management. And um, for the longest time, the stress module or stress week was like the fourth from the end or the third from the end. So it was, it was you know, in week 11 or 12 of our 14 week semester. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I, why is this not at the beginning? Because specifically totally. students, yeah. they suffer with stress so much. And, and like, so we do kind of stress, sleep, uh, breathing all within the same realm. Cause we talk about all three of those as being all very interrelated. And in our, in that discussion, I'm like, we have to have this earlier. So they understand how to frame stress during this time because they're going to get stressed it's not that they aren't going like we want them not to experience stress but they need to understand that throughout the semester how am i actually dealing with that stress how am i as you said framing that stress to be a good thing and when you're looking at something like a, a, an exam as an example you can it, it's it's normal to be stressed and anxious or, or nervous before an exam and to have that feeling but do you take that as being, this is the driver. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about this. So I, it's my driver to study more, to put more time into this, to really bear down and focus. Or is it something that you have to escape from? And now you're going to play video games because you're just like, I just want to get this over with. Or um, is it going to detract from your performance? Right. And I think that's a big, big thing is that framing of stress for our clients, for our students, for the people who come and listen to us speak at at conferences is a big thing. And so when it comes to improving, you mentioned sleep hygiene as a, as a big thing. Um, And I know you, you also mentioned the light in the room. So I have, I have that kind of wake up light that, that goes bright. So when you said that, said that I kind of smiled a little bit. Uh, and I actually followed my brother and his wife, whose house I'm at right now, they, they have one of those first. And so I actually have the exact same one that they have. Nice. The whole reason I got that is because I like it very dark in my room, as most people should, when they sleep. And so I, we got blackout curtains in front of our, our window, but I've always wanted something uh, like what Tony Stark has on Iron Man, where like the shades come up when the alarm goes off and all the light yeah. comes into the room and it's like, hey, welcome. It is 7 a.m., right? Um, I've always wanted one of those, but I don't know if I'll be ever be able to afford one of those, specifically overlooking the beach of Malibu. Sleep strategies. Uh-huh. <laughs> um what are some, and I know these are going to be, once again, individual to different people because they're going to experience different things in their house or, or in their environment, but what are some ways that we can help to improve our clients' sleep and help them, uh, I guess, value these changes as opposed to seeing them as, as inconveniences or hindrances to fun? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is educate them on what the benefits of sleep are. And it's easier now because it's being talked about, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's mainstream and it's easy to find information on this. Um, so I think the, the evidence is there. Um, I think the, we are losing that badge of honor if you don't get much sleep and you're a hard worker, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of is going to the wayside, which is good. Um, so I think it starts with education in terms of strategies. Um, it's developing a routine, um, giving them different options to develop a routine, a menu of a routine, right? It's just like mm-hmm. anything else. Everything else we do in life has a routine um, and sleep should be no different. 
So you, your evening time should have a routine, whether it's a, a wind down workout or a wind down session that can be anywhere from five minutes to an hour and five minutes. I don't know how long that might be for you. It could be different for every, it's going to be different for everybody. Mm -hmm. So, um, so for instance, like the, the, you know, the app headspace. Yeah. Yeah. They have a, a, a move module and in that move module is a, uh, a wind down routine that has breathing and some light stretches and some light foam rolling, um, thoracic spine movement and hip flexor stretch, just something to unwind from the day's stresses. Yeah. Uh, really nice. Um, and that could be used, right. Yeah. Or maybe your own, like maybe there's, maybe you sit and watch the news on your foam roller, right. Maybe you get a trigger point ball and just roll on that. Maybe just do some deep breathing and you read a book. Maybe it's about lying your clothes out for the next day, um, yeah. listening to music, um, putting your phone away a certain amount of time, right? It could be any of those things, all of those things, some of those things, or none of those things, right? Yeah. But it's developing a specific routine and following that routine. So your body knows that, oh, I'm, I'm winding down. I'm putting my body in, just like we talk about putting our bodies in a position to accept training, Mm -hmm. How can I put my body in a position to accept sleep? Yeah. That's essentially what we're trying to do with that routine. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. Wind down workout. Um, I know for myself, I like, you know, I follow the typical rules of, you know, you turn technology off and, you know, I don't look at my, like after pretty much I think nine o'clock, like my, my phone's away. I don't respond to any emails really after seven. Um, and then, you know, dim the lights down, start kind yeah. of telling your body and then, and now I don't follow this religiously uh, simply because too much changes too often in the summer specifically, like the winter is a lot easier for us because then my wife is teaching and we're not, you know, up at the cottage or hanging out with family and friends. Um, and, but I really like, you know, once everything's dim, you, you grab a book, you, you know, as you said, do a little bit of stretching um, mm -hmm. in that time to, yeah, just get your body, not, not have that blue light popping in all the time, not watch something that's super um, stimulating for you on the TV or anything like that. And then you, you read instead, but um, my wife always yells at me because the books that I read are not, are not ones that allow me to wind my brain down because they're all about, you know, yeah. so I read like why we sleep at night. And then I'm thinking, Oh yeah, it's a really good idea. And like, I'm writing notes on, on this and she's like, is this really going to put you to sleep? I'm like, probably not, but it's the reading that I like to do. And so I, sure. and so I end up doing it. You mentioned workouts. And so I know you mentioned we, like, um, like wind down workouts, but I actually want to talk about the timing of workouts mm -hmm. and the whole reason is because you see a lot of, I guess, conflicting information about whether you work out, should you work out in the morning or midday or in the evening or, and everybody kind of has their own way of doing it. And I, I don't know if this is the same for you, but I feel as a, as a night owl waking up and going and working out in the morning for me is very hard. It's hard for my body to get going in the morning for a, a workout where I feel like I actually put in some good work but I feel like a mid afternoon to evening workout for me is it. That's, that's where I feel like I'm, I'm awake, I'm ready to go. And um, I guess at that point as well, all work is out of the way. So I'm not overthinking that while I'm working out. Is there, can you speak to any science regarding the timing of workouts? Absolutely. Um, so we know that uh, the circadian variations, circadian rhythm, certain hormones are released at certain times and peak at certain times and are in a trough at certain times. Again, everybody's going to be different because larks versus owls, whatever. But in general, generally speaking, um, uh, well, let me back up one more thing too. It depends on what your goal is of the workout, mm -hmm. right? So in general, if you, uh, testosterone's peak is at four in the afternoon ish. That's a great time to work on strength, mm -hmm. right? Some people I've heard say, well, testosterone's highest in the mornings. So that's when you need to work on that. That is also true. However, cortisol is also peaked during that time. Therefore, it is not giving you the same response as the afternoon session when cortisol is at a low point. Yeah. Right? So you have to keep every hormone in the context there. Yeah. Um, that, but 
if time is a stressor or like you said, some people like do it before work, what does working out before work do? Well, it stimulates cognition, Yeah. right? You still get a health benefit by working out, whether it's in the morning or afternoon, right? You may not get the strength benefit as if you lift in the morning as if you would in the afternoon just because of the hormonal variation. So you may not get the absolute benefit. You'll still get a benefit, yeah. um, but it may not be the most optimal, the number one best time to train. That doesn't mean it's not giving you the response you want. It just mm -hmm. means that you're not getting it. It's, it's, it's like, you know, it's like, am I driving at 50 miles an hour? Or am I driving at 40 miles per hour to get to my destination? Yeah, sure. 50 would get me there faster than 40, but I'm still going to get there. Yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, some people like to get, I, I work out in the mornings. I get up and go run. Yeah. Why? That's the time of day when I can do it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I have to do it. I have to get it in for health and longevity. And if I can go run at eight in the morning, that's perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. Can't run in the afternoon because I got my girls. Right. Yeah. And it's not an ideal time. And then I usually do more work after I put them down. So at seven o'clock at night, I'm doing more work. Right. Yeah. I don't really want to go run at seven at night when I yeah. was younger, didn't have kids. Sure. I go work out in the afternoons. That's fine. Um, like you, right. I got the work day out of the way. Let's go do that. So, you know, there are optimal times, but then there's optimal times based upon the context in your life. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I think those have to be considered as well. Cause that ties back into the social, emotional and cognitive piece that also affects the physical aspects. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, um, they hear these, these things about, yeah, work out in the morning and, or get it out of the way. And so they, everybody goes and works out in the morning and then, but they, they kind of push everything back. And so they almost put themselves through a lot more stress in the morning, trying to get out of the house, maybe even get their kids out of the house, make lunches, make breakfasts, you know, make sure they've got work. And then they, they go work out and they're stressed while doing it. And then they leave and they, yes, they feel awake. They feel cognitively ready, but maybe it's not the best time for them. But yeah, I like that. Um, as you said, context, right? Making sure right. That you have the context for that client. Yeah. And I'm, I'm be, I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to get up at four or five in the morning to go work out. Yeah. Not, not me. You know, I, when I say I would get up and work out, I'm up, I get the girls up, we have breakfast. Um, you know, we do all that stuff. My wife and I divvy up the duties in the morning and then eight o'clock I go on my run. Right. Yeah. And that's just, that's the schedule. So, but I'm not going to get up any earlier and do that just cause I, I'm not productive that way. I need my sleep. Mm -hmm. And if I don't get that, I'm not going to be productive. Yeah. Yeah, I started, uh, so I've got a, uh, like an Aerodyne bike downstairs. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I typically in the morning, I'll hop on that right when I get to work. And I'll, I'll literally sit, I won't go, it's not like I'm not doing a high intensity workout at that point, but I'm, I'm biking and I'm sending some emails while I'm doing that. So I'm actually being useful. I feel yeah. useful while I'm on the bike. And yeah, as you said, like it gets like for me, cardio, that cardio piece, because it's not high intensity, because I'm not really pushing myself hard, but it gets me, you know, a little bit more activity and gets my brain blood pumping a little bit um, in that morning. So I like that. That's good. All right. So I want to get into the, the lightning round here. And I like to do this with every single person who comes on, but it's just three questions and it's just kind of first things that kind of come to mind um, for each of them. They don't necessarily have to be overthought, though a lot of people have liked to overthink them a little bit. So first one is the top three books that you have read on any topic. What are they? I uh, Just a breathing breath, breath. Just read that one. That was excellent. Um, I'll give you recent ones because those are the ones that came to mind. Yeah. Calling Bullshit. Uh, fantastic read. Um, and uh, my one of my all-time favorite books is Mob Rules. Mob Rules. And it's what the legitimate businessman can learn from the mafia. <laughs> I love it. I love it because I just finished watching Fear City on Netflix. Yeah, Netflix. Oh my! <laughs> I so wish they would have done a fourth one, but it would have been like a a pre to number one where they actually yeah. talked about what was going on in the mob, like in the city at that point. Yeah. 
um, as opposed to going right into the investigation that they're doing. But yeah, it was, um, it was really good. Yeah. I'm always fascinated by the, the intricacies sometimes of, and this might sound really bad, but the intricacies of crime, crime families and well, it's how the, it's, it's the organization behind organized crime. Oh yeah. It's, that's, and that's what this book talks about. It talks about like the structure, the hierarchy, the rules, right? If there are, you know what I mean? It's like, there are rules to killing people. It's like, who yeah. knew, right? It's like, there were certain, it, it's really an interesting book. Yeah. yeah. Mob rules. I love it. Love awesome. It. Awesome. I'll add those to my, uh, my reading list. Uh, okay. Next is the top three mentors along your journey thus far. Uh, Daryl Eto, who um, I just talked to him two nights ago. Uh, he, boy, the, the, he's brilliant. Um, yeah. I was lucky to work with him a number of years um, but he was kind of took me under his wing and just, he's been phenomenal. He's been a collegiate level. He's NBA. Um, he's worked at Altus. Uh, he's worked in the NFL. Um, just brilliant, brilliant man, kind man, great mentor. Uh, he's helped me the most in my, in like methodology wise, uh, my sister, She's like my sounding board in terms of just like, just seeing things. Yeah. And then the third one, um, just people in general. So I actually wrote a blog about this is that uh, there was a, a manager, a barista at Starbucks. Her name was Vicky. And I used to go work at Starbucks in the afternoons. And one thing I noticed is that the same people were there working every day, but the manager was different. But the, the, the how the people acted and how the people worked was completely different depending on who the manager was, even though they were the same people. Yeah. And what I noticed is that when Vicky was there, I didn't know her name then, uh, they were having more fun. They were more productive. Uh, they were, I mean, it was just like, you couldn't ask for anything to run smoother. Yeah. Um, and finally, I, I started talking to her and said, I'd start asking some questions and made the, made this, I was told her about this observation. Um, and it's just, a, you know, you, I don't think many people would go into a Starbucks thinking they're going to learn a lot about leadership from a barista. Yeah. Right. Because people go to conferences and they're like, okay, I'm ready to learn. And they pick up a book. I'm ready to learn. But it's like, you have to be ready to learn from anybody in any situation, anytime. Mm -hmm. um, and then the whole purpose, the whole, the point of the blog was really that age old quote, right? When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yeah. Um, and you can learn from any situation, um, from anybody at any time, at any place, you just have to be open to and receptive to it. Yeah. Not just think that's going to happen at, you know, idea or perform better or, yeah. you know, when I open the book, you know, calling bullshit. All right. I'm ready to learn. It's going to happen anytime. Be ready yeah. for it. But yeah. Yeah. Not like that. Is anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I'm I'm a big people watch watcher as well. Yeah, I love I love just observing, and I'm I'm the silent type. So if I go into a if I sit in on a conference session or I'm in a class, I remember from university, like I'm I'm the silent one, just watching and listening. Yeah, right. And I'm constantly pulling in all of this information, trying to like learn not only about people, uh, but also about you know the different you know, different social cues, uh, those different things, um, just from, yeah, as you said, watching people. Yeah. Right? All right. What would Brandon of today say to 20 year old Brandon? Get everything in writing. <laughs> Get everything in writing. Yeah. That would be my advice. Yep. Why is that your advice? Uh, just because I think you, you know, in business and in life, it's just always good to get everything in writing. Right. Very nice. I like it. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't heard that one before. I like that though. Yep. Um, all right. Um, so I want to thank you for coming on and, uh, spending some time to share all your knowledge with, uh, not only me, but the listeners as well. Um, do you have any products projects that you're currently working on that you would like to promote i have zero everybody gives me crap about that i am so the yeah i mean i have my instagram be marcello 13 i have my twitter it's be marcello 13 i have a website brandon marcello phd.com 
Um, yeah, I might be working on a few things that I can't talk about yet, but uh, that's all right for sure. When when that if that if that happens and they come to fruition, I'll let you know. Um, but yeah, I don't have much. Yeah, yeah, I'm working on that. I'm working on a recovery course with Michelle. Awesome. So we're working on the four Q recovery right now. Awesome. Uh, we're in the middle of that. So stay tuned for that. That should be a, a lot of fun taking the four Q principles and applying it to recovery or applying yeah. recovery to the four Q principles. Actually, what we're doing. So. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I know that's uh, we chatted about that a little bit on yeah. on the podcast recording that we did. So yeah, I'm excited for that um, because uh, yeah, they like IOM. You guys are doing some some fantastic stuff. Like I love I, I love what I actually had a conversation with the coordinator at my uh, the program that I I teach at, and we were talking about getting another certification kind of in or to replace one of the old ones that we have. And so we'd love to do the new one that just came out the. Um, uh, health and human performance yeah. specialist yeah. Um, because I just think that the the simplicity of a 4Q model with but then the ability to expand out of that uh, when it comes to programming I think is fantastic and, and just the way of thinking and then also the variability which myself and his name is also Adam are really into like variability not only within training but recovery methods and you know uh, cardio like all those different things having variability in the system to create adaptability and resiliency and so i love i love kind of how you guys talk about all of that and so yeah i'm really looking forward to that uh that recovery for q i'll look for that when it comes out and then everybody else um as he said you can go to his website you can go to um instagram twitter uh be marcelo 13 and you can follow him. Uh, thanks for joining me this morning. Oh my gosh, Adam, thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's a lot of fun too. Yeah, and uh, I'll have to have you on again at some point because I'm sure I will have more questions that will come up and maybe we'll dive into a few other um, concepts because I know that your work as a consultant goes far beyond just sleep and recovery. And so uh, we will have to have you on in the future. Glad to do it. State of the Industry Podcast. I'll be back.